0: Today we are going to be continuing on our caught series God's unrelenting pursuit of you and we learned last week in chapter 1 in the book of Jonah the three big really big moments that happened in Jonah's life. The first one is this. God interrupted his plan. We we remember that Jonah had quite the thing going on. He he was he was living in 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 almost the perfect sort of environment. He loved what was happening. He had achieved a uh, some form of status in the community. He was respected. People were listening to him. He was most likely living a fairly comfortable life. And God interrupted all that when he said, I want you to go from where you are, from living this this life of comfort, to traveling hundreds of miles to the city of Nineveh. And we talked about, even remember that scripture, Nahum, what was said about Nineveh and, and pictures like um, there are corpses that fill the streets and there's so much violence and and, and sin and vileness. And so Jonah's caught in this moment of interruption where he, he's looking at his life and he's thinking, I like what I'm doing. I don't want to go there. And so, so when God interrupted his life, rather than taking steps towards that, he decided to turn away and his interruption point or his turning point became a quitting point in his life. And he ran, right, he ran to Joppa to find that what? That there's always a ship in the harbor, ready to take you far from God's purpose and plan for your life. You don't have to look too far to find options that are going to lead you away from the Lord, right? They exist all over. Uh, but we also learn that God doesn't give up on us. So, so Jonah gets on that ship. God, it's, Scripture says the Lord hurled great winds on the sea. A storm erupts. What happens? Jonah finds himself thrown overboard because God didn't give up on him, even when he was running in the opposite direction. So the big lesson from the ship is this, that Jonah and, and his disobedience was the cause of all the trouble. Not just in his life. His disobedience caused trouble for everybody on that ship, for the sailors. And it wasn't until they recognized the problem, Jonah, and they took care of the problem that, that the storm was the storm resolved and the storm ceased. It's interesting, remember, that they fought against the storm. Remember that? Scripture says they rode hard. They fought against those circumstances. They, they tried to salvage everything. They didn't want to give Jonah up. They tried as hard as they could to get to shore. But in the end, we know this, that Jonah and getting rid of his disobedience was the key to calming the sea. And then that propels us to ask this question. And, um, and I want you to think about this. Does God, does God cause bad things to happen in your life? Does God cause bad things to happen in your life? Does God send storms into our lives because of our disobedience? I think we know the answer to that. He definitely does. He definitely does. I believe that God's faithfulness is always working to draw us closer to Him. And some storms we face are storms that we've actually made on our own. And and they're made because of our running from Him. And that storm is going to keep raging in our life until we learn to deal with our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience, until we learn to find the Jonas that are on our ship in our lives and begin to get rid of that disobedience that we so often travel with. God wants us to grow into obedience. Jesus wants us to grow into his likeness, and it's a continual pursuit of renewal for us, allowing God to show us areas in our lives that do require some attention. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on this big topic of grace. This is called caught by grace. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I love that it says that the Lord arranged a great fish. God's grace can even prepare a big fish to pull us from the depths. Have you ever experienced unexpected moments of grace in your life? I want you to think about that—moments where you were you were captured by the grace of God. I'm going to ask my friend Jared to come up. I didn't tell him how to dress appropriately appropriately for Sunday morning, so Brian, forgive the Viking shirt, okay? Can you do that, Brian? Sorry, Jared. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, 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 am, I am intrigued by some of the, the things that God is doing in, in Jared's life. And, Jared, would you um, would you say that you are totally perfect and completely where God wants you to be? Absolutely not. Okay. And, and nor are, are we. We're, we're in process toward that, and, and our goal is to pursue uh, that obedience and pursue his presence in our life. Uh, if you don't know Jared uh, he's got he's got quite a long story he's he's shared fairly publicly in different group settings about some of the things that that he's gone through over the last few years and uh, just just some questions. Um, what was your life like before Jesus?
1: Um, I would have to say I'm, I was lost um, spiritually um, I had a lot of a lot of issues in my life and I was always looking for something to replace. Um, I thought it was either a wife, or it was money, or it was something else, and uh, when I found God, it it just hit that it was him that I was missing.
0: So when you say you were lost, um, at the time, did you know you were lost?
1: I knew I didn't want to live the life I was living anymore. I knew that I was, I thought I was better, and I needed something to help me become a better person. Okay.
0: So what what exactly did, did Jesus begin to pull you out of? What things did you struggle with?
1: Um, I was very angry. I was a very angry person. Um, I was mad at myself. I was mad, probably mad at God. I was mad at a lot of things. And um, had addictions of alcohol. Drank a lot. Drank a lot. Um, and it was something that kind of the Army taught us to do. Sure. Know, to deal with our stuff. And we didn't
0: talk about it. Never talked about our feelings. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about Um, and here's the question how has the grace that God has shown you proven to you how much he loves you and talk about kind of the process of of when you when you when you began to really understand that God was grabbing your attention Um,
1: I believe it's one night I was actually on my way over to um, a bar to have a drink and I just stopped myself it's like I don't want to be about this life anymore I wanted something different. And at the time, the only person I really talked to, confided in, was my father. So I called him and I told him. Was your him. father a pastor? No, not a pastor, not even close. Um, he, he believes in God but doesn't really go to church. And um, uh, just I just needed to reach out to somebody at the time was the only person I had. And so I talked to him a little bit about it. And he, he told me, you know, if you really want to be closer to God, you, you, know, you need to let him in your heart and from a guy coming from that person that really hit home. And a couple days before that is actually where I met, Ch- met Chasta. And she told me she's very religious, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be about that life. And
0: here I am. So. Yeah. And and really, thank you, Jared. Uh, and really, the, the, the point is this. Um, God arranged. God arranged a great fish for Jonah. And God arranges great fish for us. Sometimes they look like the outside of a bar, and a moment where you realize, I can't do this anymore. Sometimes they look like a date with a very religious person that you're not even sure uh, that you want to be in a relationship with. Sometimes they look like a phone call to a, 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 someone who maybe doesn't appear to have a really close relationship with God. But great fish come to us in many different ways. Uh, it can be a tough conversation with, with someone. Maybe you're, you're brought into a conversation and you realize in that moment, I wasn't ready for this, but, but this was a God moment where that conversation or that, that discussion helped me see that God is still at work in my life. Maybe it's a timely incident in your life. Some people would call those coincidences, right? I don't think it was a coincidence that a great fish happened to be swimming in the area and Jonah looked like a big bass lure. I don't think that was the case. There was no coincidence there. Sometimes great fishes look like a closed door in our lives or a a chance timely meeting with somebody. See, God's grace sends us great fishes in all shapes and sizes. And typically they feel a little bit late sometimes. They're usually uncomfortable, but most often they come when we have no other form of rescue in our lives. And I know that God's arranged in my life great fishes many times to pull me out and redirect me and get me back on track. And I, I want you to think about those great fish that maybe you, you look back and you think, that really wasn't a very spiritual moment. Now think about this. If you're drowning in the ocean, I don't think you're going to think that a, a great moment is a fish capturing you, a great spiritual moment, right? But that is the great fish that God arranged at that time. And, and we have moments like that throughout our lives. A few weeks ago, I was meeting with somebody for lunch, and this is an early 20-something, and making some big decisions right now. You, if, you're, if you remember that age or if you're coming into that age, uh, you know that that's a season in your life where you can go a hundred different ways. You get to really choose your adventure at that point. You get to begin to think, who do I want to be? Who do I want to date? What kind of what car do I want to own? What kind of house? What kind of things are going to make up my identity? There's a lot of questions. And he had a ton of questions and, and just asking me he's, just different places he could go and different opportunities. And I walked, I walked with him through some of, the, some of the hardest times of my life, some of the best times of my life, some of those seasons that I made really, really bad decisions, some of those moments that I know that if it were not for the grace of God to send a great fish, to arrange something in my life, my life would have gone off track. But because of those great fishes, see, the Lord arr- arranges great fish to swallow you up and to gather you in more than once, probably, right? I want you to think about those rescues, though, the great fish that God's arranged and, and to grab you up. And maybe this, maybe you need a great fish today. That's why you're here in this moment, because you need that moment where where God does something in you, where God sends something your way. It's God's grace that arranges those great fish to swallow us up and to get us shifted back toward him. So let's talk about grace. Grace, it's always a hot topic in the church, isn't it? Too much, too little, just right, right? Paul wrestled with this concept of grace and obedience and sin, and he wrestled with it on the pages of Scripture. And it's those pages that we get to look to and say, what is God's grace? How does it capture us? Paul writes words like this in Romans 6.1. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, is what he says. And a few verses later, he talks about us living in the freedom of God's grace and not in an attitude of being righteous through our own obedience. That's in, in verse 14 of chapter 6. In Galatians 2, verse 16, he says, No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And then a few verses later, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. So he's setting up this tension between, between grace and obedience and sin and, and following the rules and, and not making sure that following the rules is what makes you right, but it's a great... And all of this stuff, it's created confusing sort of dilemmas for us in 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 the In the church, and we struggle over this concept, we struggle with questions like this: Is it cheap? Is there a limit? Is it really free, or does it come with strings attached or rules, laws to govern it? On Wednesday night, we had some brownies on the back counter. Norma, do you remember that moment uh, and i I slid in there and I had my cup of coffee and and I said, I'm going to steal a brownie. And I reach over to grab this brownie, and do you know what she said to me? You can't steal what is free. I grabbed the brownie, and I turned, and I I thought, that's what grace is. You can't steal what is free. But we still have more questions. Can you take advantage of it? Can you actually overuse it? Does God know beforehand what people are going to do with the grace he gives away? And yet he still chooses to give it away. Have we watered down its meaning so much that we're really not clear on how it works anymore? Is grace a one-time transaction? It's only amazing when you first come to Christ. Is it only for the obedient who accidentally slip up? Or is it for the chosen ones who intentionally turn their back on God who disobey and run from him? Or are they misusing God's grace because they should have known better and not done that in the first place? So many questions that we have about God's grace. So many arguments, so many positions. And I hope to help you this morning to answer one big question. And it's this. What do you do with God's grace? What do you do with it? I think the story of Jonah, especially in chapter 2, will give us insight in how to really respond to God's grace. Just with the phrase, God arranged a great fish, we see God's grace stepping in. See, remember with Jonah, he deliberately said no to God. And then he went on this 60-mile walk in the opposite direction to find a boat that would take him as far away from God's plan as could possibly be imagined. And yet God's grace was relentlessly in pursuit of him. God's grace let him take a 60-mile walk in disobedience. God's grace allowed him to board a ship in rebellion. And then God's grace spawned a storm. God's grace threw him overboard into that raging sea. God's grace allowed him to struggle and drown and fight with those waves. And God's grace arranged a great fish. So the question isn't, can you take advantage of God's grace? Because we all do that that's a given. You can't steal a free brownie. The real question is, how do you respond to God's grace? Not how do other people, or how did they, or how come they are getting this awesome benefit, or we look at other people and we think, man, that doesn't seem like grace to me, but how do you respond to God's grace? Because trust me, Here's what I hope you find as we look into the second chapter: that grace is deeply personal, that grace is tailor-made, that grace is a continual process to get us home, and grace knows no limit. You can't outsin it, you can't outrun it, and you can't escape its reach. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and 3 nights and I pray that as we work through this second chapter this morning you're going to recognize God's great work of grace in your life and that you will reorient your life around his grace and that you'll settle into it and respond to his grace as it catches you so let's learn to stay caught stay caught by his grace this morning we picked the the story up in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 then Jonah prayed to the Lord from his God, from inside the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. I wonder at that moment um, how Jonah's prayer life actually was. Have you ever been far from God? And and when you're far from God, especially when you've been close to God and when you find yourself far from God, how is your prayer life actually? Is it healthy? Is it on track? Uh, do Do you do these things where... You're like, I'm not going to church. I don't want to talk to my Christian friends. I'm going to make sure that I don't have any Christian radio on because I'm, I'm so disconnected with God. I don't need any of that in my life. I think that's where Jonah was. And I think that because, remember, last week we learned that as, as this storm is raging, remember what happened? The captain of the ship came, and he woke Jonah up. Jonah was asleep, and he said, Jonah, we are all praying to our gods. Could you pray to your God to relieve this storm? And what do we know Jonah didn't do? He didn't pray. And why didn't he pray? Because he was running from God. See, when we're running from God, one of the things we don't want to do is reconnect with him. So Jonah had been walking away from the Lord. He didn't pray on the ship in the storm. I can't imagine his prayer life was healthy. How long had it actually been since he had talked to God? And I think this, I guess being tossed over in a storm... Struggling through that and being swallowed up by a fish might be just what our faith needs for us to turn our eyes forward. So verse 2 says this, He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and He answered me. I called to you from the, from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked lock shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then verse 10 says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. That's That's kind of the G wording the rated G wording of that verse. Most translations actually use the word vomit. Literally, if you literally want to translate that, to disgorge the contents of the stomach. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Here, it matters because of this. I bet to some people, God's grace in that moment looked just like vomit. Think about that. God's grace in that moment looked just like vomit. It was messy, it was gross, It was smelly. It was repulsive. I'm not sure if people were on the beach when that happened, but could you imagine that moment? And what are you thinking about that guy? But not to Jonah. Jonah understood God's grace differently in that time. See, grace is messy. Grace can, in some cases, be repulsive. Grace can be misunderstood by those that are looking in from the outside. But for those that are on the inside, grace, even messy grace, is the difference between life and death. And not to be crude, first service let me get away with this. There were only two ways out of that whale. Think about that, please. One was life, one was death. One was life, one was death. I, I'm not going to write a theological book on that, but that was the only hope that Jonah had in that moment. So think about that experience, those experiences that he had, he had found himself in over the last few days. And as we look at, at this prayer in chapter 2, I hope to dispel some misconceptions for you about grace. I hope to, mis, to dispel some misconceptions even about the story of Jonah and the whale as we've come to often know, know it. You know, I learned on the flannel graph in Sunday school, and um, typically I thought this way. Jonah was thrown overboard, he hit the water and the whale came and got him, right? He was in the water maybe four seconds and then the whale got him and, and they were off to, to get Jonah's heart back together and, and spit him up closer to Nineveh than where he was right now. Well, that's really not the case, right? We get this picture from, from even like the VeggieTales movie. Remember where they throw Jonah over and he's floating in that ring with a little, I don't know if it was a rubber ducky or whatever the case might be, and all of a sudden as soon as they throw him over, the seas are calm. And everybody's kind of looking around. Jonah's not going to the depths of the mountains. No seaweeds wrapped around his head. He's just floating there. And all of a sudden, the Jaws movie, the the Jaws music comes in. Da-dum, da-dum, dum-dum-dum. And all of a sudden, Jonah is captured by the great fish. That doesn't seem to be the case when we look at this second chapter. Listen to the words that Jonah uses to describe this moment. He uses words like my great trouble. The land of the dead. The ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. The jaws of death. This is... This is Jonah's reality as he's thrown over that boat. And then he says this, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Jonah was a goner. He knew it. And his last thought as he was slipping away, likely becoming unconscious, losing his strength, his life, what does Scripture say? He remembered the Lord. Now think about this. Grace let him sink pretty far. Grace allowed him to feel the weight of the sea, the pressure, the dread, the fear, the struggle, the battle. Grace did that. Grace allowed him to sink to the bottom where he had no other way out. There could be no other rescue. His strength was gone, and he was absolutely hopeless. Then and only then, God sent the fish. And it was only through this process that Jonah was brought to the place where he actually cried out for help. It was only during this baptism at the very roots of the mountain that his soul once again desired God. See, Jonah prayed before he was in the belly of the whale. He prayed as the seaweed wrapped his head, as he was sinking to his death. That's when he started to turn again to the Lord. And here's what Jonah did when he was caught in this moment of grace. He did three things. The first thing is he recognized where he was and why he was there. Look at verses 3 and 4. They say this. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. not that interesting? Jonah says, you have driven me from your presence. Wait a second, Jonah, you've got this wrong. God didn't throw you overboard. The sailors did, Right? God didn't create this raging sea. The wind did that. And certainly, God didn't drive Jonah away. Jonah chose. Jonah ran from God. Jonah chose to just walk away from the Lord. It seems like Jonah is kind of shifting the blame from personal responsibility in the matter to just blaming everything on God. God, you did this. Why is now Jonah attributing all of this to God? God, you threw me overboard into your stormy seas, under your wild waves. You have driven me from your presence. In other words, Jonah says this, God, you caused this. Or maybe this, God, you are writing this story. You are reauthoring re-author, uh, this moment, and I recognize it now. I understand what is happening. I can't run from you anymore anymore. I can't blame the storm, the sailors, the waves, or the fish. Your hand, your grace is writing this story. See, Jonah had no other choice in that moment but to recognize where he was and how he ended up there. You can't run from God without recourse. Why? Because God wants to get back at you? No, because God wants to get you back. That is the beauty of grace. Our first response to grace must be to recognize how grace works and what it looks like. Grace isn't usually wrapped up in pretty packages. Sometimes grace seems like seaweed around our face. Sometimes grace smells like vomit. It's found in the depths of despair, in, in, the, in, in our greatest moments of desperation. It comes when we recognize that our life is hopeless until God steps in and does something. Grace comes when we recognize How absolutely hollow our lives are without his presence, a part of our lives. So how do you respond to God's grace in your life? I hope that you recognize it. I hope that you look back and you see those great moments of rescue that God has stepped into your life and done. They were huge times when God arranged a great fish to scoop you up. But Jonah did something else. Yeah, he recognized the moment for sure. But he did something else in this drowning experience, which I think is amazing. See, verse 4 and verse 7 say this. Verse 4 says, Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. And verse 7 says, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you. See, when we're caught by grace, we recognize the moment, I hope. And then we must, number two, reorient our, ourselves, our lives, toward God. I love this picture of Jonah being tossed overboard see i think on the ship in the middle of that storm i believe the crew was in in great chaos and they were just looking to find any answer so first they're throwing stuff over to make to to make the ship so it's not going to sink and then they begin to fight against the storm they're doing everything possible and then it dawned on them the only way that they can calm this storm is to throw jonah overboard do you think that they did that in an orderly fashion i bet there were let's say there were 60 soldiers on that ship, 60 sailors. I bet all 60 of them wanted to have a hand on Jonah and get him thrown over as fast as possible because their lives were threatened. So I envisioned this, just, this chaotic moment on the deck of the ship and they're, they're grabbing for Jonah and they're lifting him up and they're passing him and Jonah's spinning all over the place, not even sure what's happening, and all of a sudden, pfft, there he goes. And that, that thrown over tossing, that wasn't a choreographed, that wasn't an executed dive. That wasn't like watching the Olympics where it's a nice splash at the bottom and there's, there's no, you know, the, the, the feet are just right and there's no splash at all. Certainly wasn't like that. I don't even think it was a calculated jump. I think that in, in mass chaos, Jonah is thrown over into the sea. And that's why when he begins to describe what's happening, it's all chaotic, isn't it? It's all chaotic when he gets under, that, under the water, have you ever been in a spot like that? Like, let's just talk physically, not spiritually. When I was 10 years old, um, I I didn't learn to swim till I was a teenager, and I liked to fish at the time. And so, me and a couple of my buddies were uh, in in Dallas, and my grandpa owned some land there. And there was a creek that ran ran through the land, and it was pasture. And so we would like to fish there. We had we had. Uh, illusions of grandeur catching world record trout, and I don't even know if there were any fish in that creek ever, but we thought there were. So uh, me and two of my friends got dropped off at my grandpa's. We um, navigated through the electric fence, and we began to walk down toward the creek, and there was one spot we wanted to go to, and there was a little footbridge that went across the creek so that you could get the cows to come to the barn. And so as we approached that footbridge... The water had been kind of high. I'm not sure if it was early in the spring or if there was a rainstorm, but um, the water was high, and it had actually shifted that bridge. So the bridge was still kind of crossing the creek, and it, was, it just was askew. It, it wasn't on the right footing that it needed to be on. But we wanted to cross the, the bridge, uh, and we were really brave 10-year-olds. So there was one 8-year-old and two 10-year-olds, We sent the 8-year-old on ahead to make sure that it was safe for us older people, right? So the 8-year-old gets across the bridge, and then uh, my other friend gets across the bridge, and then I cross the bridge with with no problems, no issues at all. So we go fishing. We caught absolutely nothing. It's still a great moment, a, a great experience. I don't remember any of that. I remember this. As we were walking back across the bridge the eight-year-old went first, and he made it. Then my friend went across, and he kind of slipped into the creek a little bit and got his one leg up to his knee wet. And he got back on the footbridge and continued to cross. Now, I don't know what happened between him and I, but I got on that bridge, and I got about halfway across the bridge, and I don't know if I slipped on wet wood or if the bridge was just knocked off so much, but the whole thing began to wobble, and I found myself... uh, head over feet falling into this creek that was, that was swollen bigger than it should have been. And I don't know how to swim. And I remember plunging in, and I know this isn't the sea, but I remember plunging into the depths of that creek and wondering, is this is the last thing I'm ever going to see is blue sky? And I hit that water, and, and I had no idea if I was head up, feet up, back up, stomach up. I had no idea where I was. And the, the current of that creek, uh, it pushed me up underneath the bridge. So my head comes up, and I grab a hold of that bridge, and I am holding on for my dear life. Have you ever been in a moment like that, like in water physically, where you were so surprised, and you just didn't know which way was up? Well, this is where Jonah was. This is exactly where he was as he's thrown into that sea, and it's, it's raging and tumultuous. Now, obviously, I survived that moment, Right? But I will never forget that moment. And Jonah is in that same sort of situation except way worse. He hits the furious angry waves not knowing which way is up. And you get this picture of not having any idea which way he needed to turn. He's at the complete mercy of the waves. There was no calm. There was no stillness. There was no chance to slow down and assess. Total turmoil for him being pounded deeper and deeper. We, we see that as, as he unfolds that story, seaweed wrapping around his head. Yet in his heart, in the midst of all that real, physical, circumstantial chaos, his previously confused soul does what? It reorients itself toward God. Again, look at verse 4. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Now, now Jonah isn't saying, hey, God, when I get out of this situation, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and visit your temple. He's saying, in this particular moment, I am going to look toward your holy temple. I'm going to reorient my life so that I am facing your presence again. Literally saying, God, you've caught my attention. I'm once again setting my gaze on you. I'm looking to you one more time in the middle of this moment. I remember you, O God, and what happened? God heard the petition. See, when we're caught by grace, it reorients everything in us. Even when life around us is crazy, even when we can't make heads or tails of our circumstances, when we're caught by grace, our soul, our heart, our mind gets reoriented and recentered on God. It gets re-centered on his big picture. Jonah went through this process. He was caught by grace. He first recognized the situation, and then he began to reorient himself toward God And then lastly, grace produced a response in him. In verse 8 and 9, he responds with a thankful, sincere heart of worship for God's mercy, really saying this, God, you are merciful. Look at verse 8. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. You know what he's saying? If you want to chase a different religion, great, there's a lot of options. But when you do that, you turn your back on God's mercies. You walk away from the goodness and the grace of God. Verse 9, he says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He responded with an earnest and honest promise. You know what his response was to grace? Obedience. God, I'm going to do whatever you've asked me to do. I'll go to Nineveh. You win again. Thank you for sending the fish. Thank you that you've caught me with your grace. Now I want to get on track with your direction in my life. Then and only then, the fish heaves and hurls, and out comes messy grace, putting another prodigal back on the right path. Caught by grace means we recognize it, we reorient ourselves, and we respond in obedience. So here's the takeaway this morning on this this lesson of grace couple things I think that we need to be aware of. Number one, grace is messy. It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. Sometimes grace to one person appears disgusting and unthinkable. And then to another, that same grace is really that that life-giving moment. So have some grace. Give some grace, especially when you're looking into someone else's life. They just might have been puked out of a fish. Number two. Grace is a constant for all of us, and we should live recognizing our own disobedience and sin. We should live examining our own lives first and recentering our lives around Christ. Jesus says what? Remove the plank from your own eye before you help someone who has a speck in theirs. I believe that grace is deeply personal. I believe that grace is tailor-made. God God tailor-makes grace specifically for you. So operate in the grace that God has given you. Be honest with yourself about your own condition. That's the only way that grace truly works in your life. And honestly, if you, don't, if you don't let grace work that way, it's going to hinder how God's grace can work through you into the lives of other people. Number three is this. Learn to talk about moments that you have been caught by grace even if they might smell like vomit to others. Now, what I'm saying there is this. I appreciate Jared sharing his story. Uh, Some of us would never do that. Some of us because we don't like to public speak. And some of us because it's hard to talk about yuck, isn't it? It's hard to talk about moments that you would rather forget in your life. But it's important that you recognize that, that the moments of grace that you have experienced in your life might be the very moments that people need you, need you to talk about in order to help them get through the moments that they're going through. Because this is really the story of God working in all of us. We are sinful. We disobey. We all have. We all do. And you know what? We all will. That's why we need the grace of God. And it's only by God's grace that we can be positioned rightly before Him. And telling our stories of of grace can help others experience it themselves.